from darkness unto light, lead us from death to immortality. Om, peace, peace, peace. Namaste and good morning everybody. Although for everybody it may not be good morning because there are people from all over the world in our virtual uh, audience. We uh, gather together here occasionally to discuss questions which come from all over the world, um, from our virtual audience across the world. So these Ask Swami sessions. Today, Dr. Tulsi Ram Janardhan will um, read out the questions and I'll uh, try to answer them. Yes. The first question from Nagaraj Desai from Germany. He asks, in one of your classes, you showed how we can understand the real nature of the self. You mentioned that one can understand this by asking the question, who am I? You showed that the answer for it can be understood by following the principle that whatever is an object in my awareness is not the real self. My body, my breath, my thoughts, my intellect and memory are all objects in my awareness and therefore not my real self. If we go even deeper, there is a blank, and because we are aware of this, even this is not the real me. Does attaining enlightenment mean experiencing the real nature of the self? If it experiences itself, or if it becomes aware of itself, does it mean it is not the real self, because it becomes aware of itself? All right, that's a good question. The question here is, that um, in Advaita Vedanta, we, we follow a process of self-enquiry. We inquire into our experience of ourselves. And the method for that enquiry is one principle that we take up. The principle that is taken up is, whatever I am aware of, I am not that. Whatever we are aware of is an object, not awareness itself. That which we are aware of is an object to awareness, not awareness itself. So by this process, we eliminate from our self-concept all objects. You see, the problem is that we have identified ourselves with, uh, with things which are not ourself, with the body, with the mind. We take these to be I, me. But we are not these. Vedanta tells us that you are awareness, pure awareness. Now, how do we reach that? How, how do we uh, appreciate what we truly are? By this method. This is the method that has been adopted. That the real nature of the self is that which is aware. And anything that we are aware of is not the real self. Is an object to the real self. It's a very powerful method. Now... If you follow this method, even if you think about this method, then you will come to this question, which this gentleman has asked. The question is, 
So our ultimate goal is to know ourself, uh, self-realization, self-knowledge. Whatever we are aware of is an object, not the self. So when we reach self-knowledge, we'll be, we'll be knowing the self, but then the self will be an object, because whatever we know is an object. Then it will not be the real self. And this question has to be appreciated. Uh, then you can uh, understand the beauty of the answer. So, the answer is that the self can never be known as an object. Whatever is an object is not the self and that criterion remains true till the very end also. Whatever you know as an object is not the self. So, will the self remain unknown? If the goal is self-knowledge, will we fail in attaining the goal? Will it remain with the self? Will my real self always remain unknown? No. Uh, it is more than known. It is not known in the usual sense of knowledge. What is the usual sense of knowledge? Whatever we know as an object, usual sense of knowledge is by knowing something as an object. I, the consciousness, I deploy instruments of knowledge through the mind and the senses. So through the mind and the eyes, I, the consciousness, I see. What do I see? Objects, forms. Um, I, this awareness through the mind and the ears, I hear. What do I hear? Objects, sound. Similarly, other objects are there. For each sense organ, separate object. There is uh, uh, smell and there is taste and there is touch. Not only that, there are subtle objects in our mind itself. Thought and imagination and memory and ideas and desires, emotions. These are also objects. Why? Because we are, we are aware of them. So at the level of the external world, objects, physical body, which is part of the external world, object. The breath, you are aware of it, object. Thoughts, emotions, memories, aware of it, object. Not the self. Beyond that, even the intellect which we are using right now for understanding all this, that is also an object. It is a process we are aware of. Beyond that, if you push, as he says, you will reach a blankness. The blankness we experience in deep sleep. The blankness we experience in deep meditation also. Because it is experienced, that is also an object. It is not us. So, we are not the physical body, object. We are not the breath, the pranic body, object. We are not the mind, mental body, mind. We are not the intellect. We are not even the blankness beyond the intellect. Not Annamaya Kosha, not Pranamaya Kosha, not Manomaya Kosha, not Vijnanamaya Kosha, not Anandamaya Kosha. Then, see, here is the beauty of it. We now are looking for our real self. And our tendency is to objectify. Why? Because we have always seen objects. Whatever we know are always objects. So somewhere, even if we say, I know that the self is not an object, we say that, we think that, but the unconsciously the impulse is to objectify the self. It can never be objectified. It is not an object of awareness. It is the awareness itself. Then how is it known? Will it be unknown? No, it is more than known. In every act of knowledge it is known. Whenever you know something, the presence of objects, you are knowing the self itself. Whenever you know the uh, absence of objects, you are still knowing the self itself. It's like, um, let me give you an example. It's only an example. So when I show you the clock, what do you see? It's a clock. 
and then I show you the mic here. What do you see? Mic. I show you the cloth here. What do you see? Cloth. Clock, mic, cloth. Three different objects. But notice there's something else you're missing. It is not just clock. It is the light reflected of the clock. There is clock here plus light. The light is falling on it and then it's illumining the clock. So you're seeing the light. The same light falls on this, um, this uh, mic and illumines it. It is mic plus light that gives you the experience of the microphone. It is cloth plus light which makes, gives you the experience of the cloth. What is common to all of them? Clock is different from mic, mic is different from cloth. But the same light is illumining all of them. Um, in the same way, there is consciousness in every experience, in experience, in every knowledge of every object. One thing is there, consciousness is always there. Now, why did I say it's only an, uh, an example? One thing one, one must be careful of here. The clock is a material object, but the light which is reflected from this clock is also a material object. So that, that does not apply to consciousness. What I mean is, in every knowledge, consciousness is there, but not as an object, as the illuminer of that object. Once we realize that, then we will find it in every, uh, every knowledge. In Keno Upanishad it is said, Pratibodha viditam matam amritatvam hi vindate. In every episode of knowledge, in seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, yeah. in thinking, remembering, understanding, forgetting, loving, hating, whatever it is, the same consciousness is shining everywhere, but not as an object. Yeah. So it is self-revealed. There is a very important conception in Advaita Vedanta, self-revealed. Self-revealed is in Sanskrit, Swaprakasha. Swaprakasha. It does not know itself. It is, in English, self-revealed or self-luminous, Swaprakasha. It is revealed by itself continuously. But it's not an object to itself. Um, the, in, in philosophy, self-reflexivity is a fault. Self-reflexivity means nothing can make itself an object. So, for example, I can use this finger to touch things. I can touch the microphone, I can touch the cloth, I can touch the table. This fingertip, I can touch. But can this fingertip touch itself? No. It can touch other fingertips, but it cannot touch itself. Right? In the same way, these eyes, they can see other things. But they cannot see themselves. And don't say that you can see yourself in a mirror. You are seeing a reflection of the eyes in the mirror. The eyes cannot see themselves directly the way they are seeing other things. So self-reflexivity is not... Uh, allowed or it's, it's, it's seen as a fault in philosophy. Self-reflexivity means something knowing itself. Something referring to itself. Eyes do not see themselves. The finger does not touch itself. Similarly, consciousness does not know itself. So when enlightenment comes, you cannot say that the self will know itself. No. It does not technically know itself. But it is more than known. It is self-revealed. It's self-luminous. Not only in, um, uh, in enlightenment, in every knowledge, in all world, all ordinary knowledge, in religious knowledge, spiritual knowledge, in all kinds of knowledge, consciousness is self-revealed. Just as uh, the light is common when it's reflected of all the objects. Also, the eyes, when we see different things, 
we are seeing different things but what is common to all of them that the eyes are seeing same eyes are seeing everything and i touch different things with the fingertips what is common to that the same fingertip is touching everything so in touching everything i can say that i know that i this the fingertip uh, in seeing everything i the eyes are self revealed the in self knowledge what happens is you realize the luminous nature of consciousness and then in every act of knowledge it doesn't doesn't have to be only brahma gyana in every act of knowledge the self is revealed consciousness is revealed that in dualistic language it is called seeing god everywhere seeing god in everyone seeing god in every experience so the answer to the question is when self realization comes will the self know itself if it knows itself then it becomes an object it cannot be the self anymore no it will not know itself as an object but the self luminous nature of of consciousness will be revealed to us and will be continuously available it is already continuously available to us we don't recognize it that's all we will recognize it in thereafter every act of knowledge in every episode of knowledge it will be recognized and that is called freedom in kena upanishad pratibodh viditam matam amritatvam hivindate in every cognition when consciousness reveals itself when you realize it the presence of consciousness yourself the self real self that is called immortality then you may live anywhere you may live in any way yatra tatra in the language of ashtavakra yatha tatha as whatever your condition you may be a monk you may be a householder you may be fully active in the world you may be totally withdrawn from the world uh, you may be healthy the body may be healthy or sick you may be young or old a body uh, in whatever condition you may be well known in the world you may be absolutely unknown whatever is the condition of your life wherever you exist you are that one ever free consciousness you are totally free and uh, that is jivan mukti freedom while living yes ashwani saxena asks how can we gradually develop detachment from material pursuits we have material ambitions conditioned by the societal expectations but all these are impermanent offering no real happiness is there a gradual path towards detachment from material pursuits yes the straight answer to this is sri ramakrishna is to say as you move more towards the east the west is automatically left behind you don't have to leave something behind move towards your goal towards your destination now move towards a high goal in life enlightenment of course but when you move towards a high goal in life what is it that i want then what i don't want will drop away from me you don't have to quarrel with material possessions and material goals Uh, they are not good they are bad no you must catch hold of something higher notice the lives of um, great scientists and artists and writers they are so deeply involved in their pursuit of knowledge creativity art they don't have to think does a does a scientist uh, einstein or somebody did they have to think i have to fight against material uh, objects no there is no interest at all you drop it behind because all your interest your focus is on something higher automatically notice the lives of 
um, you know, great painter, writer, scientist, whoever it is, philosopher, their life itself becomes very, very, very um, simple. Material um, concerns drop away from their, uh, from their daily, you know, from from their view of life, because their attention is entirely focused on their goal. Um, in the same way, in spiritual life, even more so. When God realization is the goal, when self realization is the goal, then material um, pursuits, possessions, money, uh, little concerns of career, they become so small, you don't bother about it anymore. So that is the path. The gradual path is always to move positively. Of course, one must have certain rules, certain discipline uh, to reduce one's material concerns to the minimum. So that gives you the freedom to pursue a high goal. But the the path is this simple motto. The more I move towards God, the more I move towards enlightenment, the more time I give for study, for meditation, for thinking about uh, Vedanta, the less time, energy, desire will be there to you know mess about in the world. Um, the unworldliness, the otherworldliness will come to you uh, automatically by itself. Both are necessary. Uh, Sri Ramakrishna says, Ishwari Anurag, Vishaya Virag. A love for God and a dispassion for Vishaya, for, for worldly things. Uh, they, they go together. It's always best to stress the positive aspect. The renunciation of worldly uh, activities and goals will come by themselves. Um, one may also make a certain uh, discipline of minimizing one's needs, of simplifying one's life. That's also very good. Yeah. <clears throat> Next question. Uh, Sudhir Kumar GVSS asks, How is moksha defined in Vedanta? Is it freedom from sorrow? Is it freedom from birth and death? Mm. Both. So the way moksha is defined, moksha means freedom, spiritual liberation. Different words are used. In um, Indian philosophy, moksha is one, mukti is another, nirvana is another, uh, kaivalya is another, apavarga, an ancient word, is another. So many words are used to denote this ultimate spiritual freedom. Now, what is this? Is it freedom from the cycle of birth and death or is it freedom from sorrow? The answer is both. Both. The way it is taught in Indian classical Indian philosophy, not just Vedanta, in Advaita Vedanta or in other schools of Vedanta or in Nyaya, Vaisheshika, Sankhya, Yoga, um, uh, uh, Purva, Mimamsa, in, um, in Buddhism, Jainism, Sikhism, in all of them, Moksha is the goal. Uh, one way would be freedom from the cycle of birth and death. So we are trapped in this individual personalities and we go from body to body, lifetime to lifetime. Evolving spirituality. The whole goal is to attain spiritual realization and freedom. But we are going through these um, these little selves from lifetime to lifetime. And when we attain our goal, there is no more need to be encased in these cages of flesh and blood from lifetime to lifetime. So freedom is attained. Uh, so that is how it is put in. There is a paradigm of Indian philosophy. All schools of Indian philosophy, they will talk in that language. Freedom from the cycle of birth and death. But there is another language in which they speak. Which is freedom from sorrow. 
freedom from unhappiness freedom from misery freedom from liberation freedom from limitation not liberation liberation from limitation so that's the and the two are not different freedom from the cycle of birth and death is equal to freedom from sorrow the cycle of birth and death is synonymous with suffering because it is limitation upanishad say tameva viditva ati mrityu meeti knowing that one goes beyond sorrow goes beyond death that's one language the buddha says that there is sorrow or suffering dukkha in life and there is an escape there is a freedom from suffering and there is a cause of suffering there is a freedom from suffering and there is a way to the freedom from suffering the four noble truths of the buddha so there is suffering dukkha and is this dukkha is there a cause of this dukkha yes that is desire trishna can dukkha be overcome yes that is called nirvana freedom from dukkha is there a way to overcome it yes there is the eightfold way ashtanga marga of the buddha so this is the paradigm of spirituality in india it's not just the buddha yeah. long before him sankhya sankhya philosophy says afflicted by the threefold sorrow dukkhatraya vigatat jihasa tadapaghata ke hetu there is an inquiry how can we overcome finally overcome sorrow temporarily we can um, temporarily we can overcome if feeling hungry eat food fine but completely totally overcome suffering and limitation in life is it possible and the answer is yes it is possible it is possible uh, that is the spiritual quest that is the spiritual quest so the two 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 ways it is put as you saw in sankhya philosophy suffering is there is there a way to overcome suffering and that is the quest for liberation or the cycle of birth and death the cycle of birth and death freedom from liberation from the cycle of birth and death this unending cycle of repetitions of this limited life that is also moksha and it's the same thing especially here in the west Uh, where uh, it is mostly from the christian or abrahamic kind of uh, thinking where the idea of multiple lives and births and deaths is not uh, not a common not accepted easily so one can speak about liberation from from suffering uh, freedom from suffering that everybody can identify with one might say i am only sure of this one life i am born i know this and i am going to die i know that much i had many lives after before this i will have many lives after that and i have need freedom from this cycle is it is it really a problem or is it an imagined problem imaginary solution to imaginary problem yeah. so in that case you one need not refer to multiple lives uh, birth and death one can just say there is suffering in life yes is freedom from suffering possible yes so moksha is also freedom from suffering both ways one can put it yes next question from ishan ray he asks there are a lot of techniques of meditation like the mindfulness meditation the meditation on om etc would you kindly describe what vedantic meditation is as a vedantin which technique should i follow for my daily meditation vedantic meditation meditation is focusing the mind 
it could be a narrow focus like in yogic meditation it could be a mindfulness but attention training of the attention is meditation and that's absolutely necessary in spiritual life so that's why we have in all traditions just about every religious tradition has some form of training of the attention it need not be formal meditation it could just be prayer it could be repetition of a prayer um, so a kind of training of attention is there in every religious tradition of the world <clears throat> in vedanta the place of meditation is um, one must understand what is the place of meditation first of all is training of attention necessary in vedanta yes vedanta actually advaita vedanta takes it for granted that already one has a focused mind it's part of the fourfold qualifications viveka vairagya shramadamaadi shatsampatti mumukshutvam the discernment between the unreal and the, the, the temporary and the eternal the dispassion for the temporary the sixfold discipline the sixfold discipline that includes samadhana focus so the ability to focus of course is taken for granted in vedanta you must have some ability to focus but beyond that Vedantic meditation is a special reason for need for Vedantic meditation it is called nididhyasana the term for meditation vedantic meditation is nididhyasana so the process of vedanta is shravana manana nididhyasana shravana literally means hearing what it means practically is systematically studying vedanta so systematically studying the teachings assimilating the grasping the teachings is is shravana after doing that one comes to manana the power of thinking reflecting upon it so by 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 the first stage i know what the teaching is i know what vedanta is telling me i know what the upanishads the gita and other vedanta texts broadly what they are saying i know now i have so many doubts so so many questions and doubts these are resolved these are resolved in the second stage so at the end of the second stage of mananam i i can say that i know the teachings and also i understand them i know the teachings and i understand them what remains it still is not a living reality to me i was promised that i shall go beyond sorrow dukkha nivritti i'll go go beyond sorrow cessation of sorrow ananda prapti i shall attain permanent satisfaction in bliss i have not got that my life has not changed yet i'm not getting the benefit of that knowledge i have the knowledge i have the conviction the benefit is not coming so what is necessary is assimilation and to make it a living reality so to make it a living reality this um, vedantic meditation is prescribed what you have studied and heard what you have understood first stage second stage now stay with it marinate yourself in it soak it in assimilate it Swami Vivekananda says, "Tell yourself again and again, I am that. So am I. Am he? I am Brahman. Not in the sense of repetition of a mantra, something that we have understood very clearly. Now stay with that understanding." He says, "Till it tingles with every drop of your blood." So this is the process of Vedantic meditation. Um, more technically. the idea in advaita vedanta is knowledge or enlightenment comes from the first stage shravana hearing hearing or studying the truths 
that gives us knowledge but the other two st stages are necessary for removing problems for removing obstacles two kinds of obstacles are there asambhavana viparita bhavana asambhavana means impossibility obstacle and viparita bhavana means the contrary tendencies so the impossibility is i hear you that you are saying i am brahman i am not body mind i am brahman i hear you but it doesn't seem possible i have got many objections so those objections are removed in second stage mananam removes asambhavana the the stage of uh, of cogitation reflection removes the 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 obstacle of impossibility that it's impossible now after that i realize it is possible not only possible it must be true i get conviction then remains the the problem of viparita bhavana contrary tendencies over a lifetime many lifetimes we have developed tendencies of identifying with body we have developed tendencies of identifying with mind these tendencies of identifying with body and mind behaving thinking speaking and behaving as if i am this body and mind this has to be overcome how will this be overcome by the same knowledge just stay with that knowledge till it becomes very obvious a, a living light effortlessly available to me that's that third that that second obstacle viparita bhavana contrary tendencies the tendency of thinking of behaving as if i am body mind that is overcome by vedantic meditation so vedantic meditation serves the purpose of assimilation of the teachings of making it a living reality of overcoming the contrary tendencies of thinking and behaving as if i am a body mind now where will you find these vedantic meditations what are the techniques how do you do it you can find it scattered in many places it's basically staying with the clarity of the conviction so the clarity of the conviction has to come first one cannot jump straight to vedantic meditation people think that oh so finally we have to do that meditation let me start with that you cannot start with that you have to start with shravana and manana first know the teachings get clarity and conviction about the teachings and then make it blossom in your life but there are techniques so if you are interested in knowing the techniques you can uh, for example in the drig drishya viveka uh, we have a whole lecture series i think 12 classes are there on the net towards the end you will find six techniques of vedantic meditation six techniques of nididhyasana in aparokshanubhuti shankaracharya gives 15 techniques aparokshanubhuti 15 techniques of vedantic meditation so he just takes the yogic meditation terms and uh, changes the meaning to um, sort of one might say appropriates the yogic meditation techniques and um, shows how vedantic meditation can be done in 15 different ways aparokshanubhuti now the question was how do i do my daily meditation what is suitable for me in my daily meditation here i must say quite apart from vedantic nididhyasana what is required in our spiritual life is what is called upasana that's an entirely different kind of meditation and that comes before vedantic meditation upasana is one form of upasana upasana literally means worship so one form or mental worship one form of mental worship is you have a chosen deity ishta devata and the guru gives you a mantra uh, the ishta mantra 
and one repeats the mantra and visualizes the deity as taught by the guru daily at least twice a day that is foundational unless upasana mantra japa the deity meditation is done the mind is not ready the that opening which is necessary for vedanta will not be there vedanta gives a lot of stress on the preliminary preparation of the mind so mantra diksha and meditation on the deity ishta 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 devata japa and dhyana this is what should be the daily daily meditation for us also for the devotees and monks in our ramakrishna order we daily do meditation and it's the form of the upasana ishta devata and mantra it is at its unique potency and vedanta also says it it makes it a requirement that one should have gone through this process i think that's uh, what i would like to say next question satya from europe asks i sincerely want to strengthen the practice of bhakti yoga in my sadhana on the lines you described in several lectures however i am unable to settle down on one particular form of god my mind wavers between different incarnations of vishnu and also on nirguna brahman this has become a roadblock in my bhakti sadhana could you please advise how i resolve this how do i choose my ishta deva would mantra diksha from a guru help if so how do i receive that because i do not have access to a guru here in this country i don't know which country is speaking from uh, writing from but it just says from europe right um as i just said in the answer to the earlier question uh, ishta devata and ishta mantra are very necessary and they're necessary for one reason is this one you want to meditate you want to cultivate bhakti devotion to god but in which form want to worship vishnu as narayana or as krishna as avatar krishna or rama in which form will you worship which mantra rama mantra krishna mantra the numerous mantras of vishnu or narayana how and even if you pick one the problem is i pick one if i pick one it the mind which has chosen or picked one that same mind can change it can now after one or two years go somewhere else the harm is as as he points out the harm is that it becomes a a block it becomes a stumbling block um what happens is it's like there's a saying that sri ramakrishna used to tell the story of a man who was digging a well to get water and he did not find water so he thought maybe i'll try there and he tried there then after that he tried somewhere else so it's better to dig dig one 6 foot well rather than six 1 foot wells yeah. you have to dig deep in one place so for that an initiation by a guru ishta devata ishta mantra is necessary that's why the importance of mantra diksha initiation is very 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 much uh, appreciated not only in the path of bhakti in the path of gyan also Uh, for that you need a guru and um, a mantra an ishta the ishta and the mantra will be indicated by the guru if you have any special preference you may tell the guru like you have a tendency towards uh, vaishnavism is the incarnations of vishnu or the forms of vishnu that you can tell the guru and prob- probably the guru might give you a mantra and ishta devata of that that nature one can still continue and must must have continue continue to have respect for different forms of god not only in our religion in every religion the respect will be there we know the lord whom i worship as my chosen deity 
God in that form in which I worship, uh, whose mantra I repeat, whose form I visualize, to whom I am devoted, that very Lord appears in all these different forms. So I bow down to them. I respect them. But my sadhana will be focused. Focus is necessary. Without focus, no realization will be possible. Now where? Well, preliminary one may start with some mantra. I will not say anything. One should not give this and talk about this openly on the internet. But you can pick one form of, of the Lord, of Narayan or Vishnu, and the corresponding mantra and start repeating it. But look for a guru who can give you mantra diksha and the japa, mantra, mantra for japa and the form for visualization. In our order, we have centers. We have centers in France and in Germany, in Netherlands, in, in the United Kingdom, in Switzerland. Um, our swamis visit these countries and other countries nearby. So in Europe, you do have centers. In Moscow and in St. Petersburg, also in Russia, the centers are there. Um, and I understand it's quite easy to travel between countries in Europe. So you may please look up Vedanta Society in Germany or in France or in uh, England. Uh, Netherlands, Switzerland and uh, look for and get in touch with the Swami there and ask about Mantra Diksha. Uh, in not only for this gentleman but in general those who are serious about spiritual life who want God realization it is highly it's not compulsory but it's highly recommended that one should take Mantra Diksha initiation uh, it is uh, it's a great help Next question, Vipan Kumar asks, How do we know that Brahman is the ultimate? Maybe there is something beyond Brahman, which is no one has encountered yet. Okay, good question. How do we know Brahman is the ultimate? What is Brahman? Existence, infinite existence consciousness or existence consciousness bliss, Satchidananda or Satyam Jnanam Anantam Brahma. Now why can't something be higher than that? Why can't something be deeper than that? Why can't there be something beyond that? I'll give you a couple of logical answers. One. Look at it from the point of view of Brahman as existence. So Brahman is uh, defined as or indicated as pure being or existence itself. Sat. Now suppose you say that there can be something other than Brahman, something higher than Brahman. Something beyond Brahman, something transcending Brahman. So this which is beyond Brahman or higher than Brahman or transcending Brahman will be other than Brahman. But Brahman is existence. So if it is other than existence, it becomes non-existent. Something which is other than existence, what will it be? Not existence. If it is not A, it becomes not A. If it is not existence, it is non-existent. So that which is higher than Brahman, which is other than Brahman, not existent. Cannot exist logically. Now, or look at it from the point of view of consciousness. So something, suppose it is higher than consciousness, greater than consciousness, beyond consciousness. How will it be known? By consciousness itself. So that one thing that you need is existence consciousness. So this unlimited existence consciousness is Brahman. We are already existing. I am existing and I am aware. You are existing and you are aware. Only our problem is we feel very limited. This existence and awareness is very limited. My existence is subject to birth and aging and death. I feel because of identification with body. 
my awareness is seems to be subject to waking and dreaming and deep sleep more awareness less awareness uh, drowsiness dullness uh, this is because of identification with mind and the sattva rajas tamas of the mind but in itself existence and awareness are unlimited so that is what vedanta shows us and that is freedom there can be no nothing higher or beyond existence awareness if it is beyond existence it becomes non existent if it is something beyond uh, awareness it becomes an object to awareness even for knowing that realizing that you still need awareness even if there is an ex- god most magnificent god who is apart from you in a dualistic sense separate from you then it is only to you that god will appear it is only you the awareness who will search for that god ultimately when you realize that wonderful god it will still be you the consciousness it will be dependent on you if you are not conscious the most wonderful god also cannot appear to you so ultimately everything is dependent on existence consciousness that infinite existence consciousness is brahman that same infinite existence consciousness is you and i under delusion as reading yesterday swami vivekananda says the question was Swami Vivekananda gives great con- emphasis on confidence in yourself confidence in the self faith in the self then he asks the question which self so he says here what is meant is the real self or the ultimate self eternal self he says but it also means the limited self us because then he adds very important because the limited self is nothing other than the eternal self under delusion we the limited existence consciousness is nothing other than brahman the unlimited existence consciousness just because of our ignorance about it we don't realize it that's all there can be nothing beyond that anything which exists is dependent on that so how what, what can be beyond it all right next question lakshmi meera asks the body is not real mind is not real our waking state is a dream state of which we are unaware because of the illusion the only real concept is pure being or pure awareness with this what goes from life to life it is not the body or the mind so what is the entity against which all karma is recorded is it against the reflected consciousness in illusion who keeps track of karma is it the pure consciousness keeping a record of all karma notice what was said world is not real body is not real waking is equal to dream fine then then comes the question karma who is going from lifetime to lifetime why do you regard that as real you just said notice what you yourself said world is not real this lifetime is an appearance waking state is a dream then again why are you asking what goes from lifetime to lifetime where is karma who recording who is recording karma is this is this is the confusion we say and on one hand I understand Advaita Vedanta says that the world is an appearance Brahman alone is real the next i say yes it is an appearance but who is the one living here who is the one who going from this life to that next life it's like saying that um, i understand when i am seeing uh, a movie cinema that it is uh, Uh, it's it's all a movie it's not real then the neither is there a the hero nor is there a villain nor is the crime been committed nor is there a court case i understand all of that is a dream it's it's a fiction it's a movie 
next i'm asking but who will punish the villain where will the villain if it's all a dream then when which jail with the villain go to the uh, what will be the reward of the hero who will keep track of reward and punishment you have just said the whole thing is a story so in advaita vedanta to clear up this confusion what we do is we have two levels of truth two levels of reality ultimate level and our transactional level actually ultimately there will be multiple levels there is the ultimate level paramarthika there is this worldly level of uh, transactions called vyavaharika there is the level of error and dream and illusion called pratibhasika there is even an error of complete non existence called tuchcha or asat but let's just take two levels ultimate level relative level take the movie example what is the ultimate uh, reality of the movie it is just light and screen that's the ultimate reality pictures on our screen that's the ultimate reality in the movie and what is the relative level of the movie oh there is a hero and there is a villain and there is car chase and there is a court case and uh, reward and punishment whole stories there happiness misery and there will be a whole plot is there that's at the level of fiction that's at the level of the movie two levels are there it is not a very strange abstract philosophical concept you know one may say that oh what is this two levels of truth sounds very abstract we always use it whenever you're talking about fiction story book whenever you're talking about a movie cinema or or theater there are always two levels one is at the level of your own existence and the other one is at the level of the story similarly in advaita vedanta brahman is the ultimate reality existence consciousness place an infinite being awareness satyam gyanam anantam brahma that's the only reality there is nothing else apart from it the first thing that a student of vedanta learns it's in the vedanta sara uh, we have to memorize vastu satchidanandam advayam brahma the only reality is that uh, existence consciousness bliss non dual brahman the moment you say non dual no two there's nothing apart from that but there seems to be something apart from it what seems to be there world is there full of uh, millions of beings uh, living and non living there is history uh, there is there are human beings there is myself especially i am there uh, body mind thoughts feelings emotions all of this is there then if it is not a reality apart from brahman what can you call it except fiction except mithya except appearance so advaita vedanta says brahma satyam jagat mithya where brahman is real the world is an appearance two levels reality level appearance level how does that help the question <coughs> answer the question the question was everything is an appearance everything is uh, not real or appearance level mithya um then Uh, what about karma what goes from lifetime to lifetime remember karma and what goes from lifetime to lifetime even lifetime to lifetime all of that is within the level of appearance mithya the level of the movie not the level of the screen not the level of brahman from the ultimate standpoint there is no lifetime there is no something going from something to something there is no karma good and bad no result of karma no need for somebody to record that karma also that that is at the ultimate level so nothing is there no when we are experiencing it at a relative level vyavaharika level all of that is there 
So vivarika level, what is going? The sukshma sharira, the physical body dies, the subtle body goes from lifetime to lifetime. The tendencies of past karmas are recorded in the subtle body, in, in the karana sharira actually, causal body. And um, in the cosmic causal body, that is maya, all our karma is recorded. And that gives rise to uh, experiences of each jiva in the future. So, and the Lord of all of this, who is the person responsible? To whom should I write my appeals? God is the person responsible. The personal God of religion. Advaita Vedanta accepts all of that. But calls it Vyavaharika. Transactional reality, relative reality, lower reality. Appearance equal to falsity. That's it. So, the two distinctions. I often told you the story of, sometimes I mention. One of our monks used to ask this question. In Indian religions, you find multiple lifetimes, birth and death, again and again and again. And in Judaism, Christianity, Islam, one lifetime. So which one is true? Punar janmaya ek jan. One lifetime or, or multiple lives. So finally he went to ask a very radical non-dualist teacher, a monk who lived in the Himalayas, uh, in a nearby ashram. This whole ashram was also in the Himalayas. So this monk was asked, so what is true? One lifetime or many lifetimes? And the monk replied, Swami, when there is not even one birth, where is the question of rebirth? Jab janma hi nahi mahatma ji, to punar janma ka hai ka? Aap mandukya padhiye. Please go and study mandukya. So this monk was very annoyed. He came, who had asked the question. He came and told me, these Advaiti non-dualists are impossible to argue with. I have gone with a serious question, uh, many lifetimes or one lifetime, and he dismisses the whole thing. He says, go and study mandukya. So that is the Advaitic perspective. From the ultimate perspective, no multiple lifetimes, not even one lifetime. Was Brahman ever born? Did the screen ever become the hero or the villain? No. But at the relative level, level of movie, hero and villain both appear. And there is a story. And there is a plot. And there is something true about the story, something false about the story also. All those things are true at the relative level. Ultimately, Brahman alone is reality. And that Brahman you are. Not only Brahma Satyam, Brahman is real. Not only Jagat Mithya, world is an appearance. Hmm. Higher truth, lower truth. Ultimate truth, relative truth. But also most important, Jiva Brahmai Vanapara. You are none other than Brahman. You, the, uh, the individual being who thinks of yourself as a Jiva, you are none other than that ultimate reality. That's the most important thing. Yes. Next question. Prakash Narayan asks, As one goes deeper into non-duality, one realizes that time and space are illusions and nothing actually exists and nothing is going on. Is this true? Oh. Well, let's, you see how it's related to the earlier question. One realizes time and space are illusions, nothing actually exists, nothing is going on. Is this true? Answer will be yes and no. Same movie example. When you go to the movies and if you are asked, the movie is a movie. There is no hero, villain. There is no good deeds, bad deeds. And there is no happy ending, sad ending. It is just screen and light and pictures. True. So nothing is going on there? No, that's also not true. There is a movie going on there. At the level of the Movie, there are people. That's why they have gone there. Why, have you just gone there to see a blank screen? No. So, the world appearance, which is an appearance of Brahman, none other than Brahman, 
when the rope appears as a snake you can it is correct to say that there is it's an illusion it's an error there is no snake it's a rope correct so there is nothing no there is a rope and it appeared as a snake there is the desert it appears as the mirage looks like water there is the sky colorless but appears as the brilliant blue sky poets can write poetry about brilliant blue sky although it's not at all blue similarly the brahman appears as the world it appears as jiva the individual being you and i and it appears as our samsara and it appears as the unenlightened masses and as the enlightened few who realize the truth about it even after realization here is the wonderful thing even after realization this appearance continues so it's not true to say nothing is going on in an absolute level paramarthika satyam nothing is going on only brahman is there non-dual brahman always so even this idea of everything is brahman brahman is eternal brahman is all all pervading these are also you are making some compromise by accepting space we say brahman is all pervading by accepting time we say brahman is eternal as against all other entities which appear to be there which are limited in space and born and dying created and destroyed brahman is eternal and all pervading by accepting all entities we say brahman is all, is uh, in in everybody all things are brahman all objects are brahman but you are already accepting all objects you are already accepting time you are already accepting space even time space and object desha kala vastu they are also appearances so is brahman not all pervading is brahman not eternal no no you cannot say that otherwise that will make little an error that brahman is non eternal that brahman is not all pervading it is all pervasive eternal and non dual but only with respect to space time and object what is going on movie is going on dream is going on snake is appearing the mirage is appearing in reality only brahman existence consciousness please and you are that being that knowing yourself as that enjoy the appearance do what has to be done whatever has to be done you can enjoy it it, it becomes a joyful life it becomes a most wise way of living most peaceful deeply rooted in the eternal peace of brahman you can live in the midst of it intense activity there's no problem at all see this where does this question come from nothing is going on it's all an illusion in spiritual life when we first enter in spiritual life there is a great desire for peace shanti and the immediate tendency of the mind is let me erase this samsara i should not see the world with all its problems i should not see my own life with all its problems let me go into just peace quiet like deep sleep or deep meditation that is not advaita vedanta advaita vedanta says in the deepest meditation and deepest peace and oh with eyes open in the battlefield of kurukshetra you should see the same brahman it should be perfectly all right in language of ashtavakra yatra yatra yatha tatha in wherever in whatever circumstance you are put in whatever be the mode of life whatever be the conditions of life rich and poor healthy unhealthy young old with 100 years to live with only one day to live none of that should make absolutely the slightest difference to me 
बिकॉज दे आई सी ओनली दी नॉन डुअल ब्राह्मण आई नेवर सीक टू इरेज एक्सपीरियंस टू शट आउट द एक्सपीरियंस आई विल नॉट एक्सपीरियंस द वर्ल्ड आई विल ओनली बी इन इन डीप समाधि नो दैट इज नॉट अद्वैत वेदांत वन उत्तराखंड साधु पुट इट वेरी ब्यूटिफुली अद्वैत व्यवहार को मिटाता नहीं है अद्वैत आपको व्यवहार में निर्भय निर्बाध बनाता है अद्वैत इज नॉट फॉर वाइपिंग आउट द एक्सपीरियंस ऑफ द वर्ल्ड अद्वैत मेक्स यू मेक्स यू फियरलेस निर्बाध मीन्स लिमिटलेस इन द एक्सपीरियंस ऑफ द वर्ल्ड देर इज नो रेजिस्टेंस यूर कंप्लीटली ओपन लाइक द स्पेस इज ओपन टू एवरीथिंग यू मे कंसिडर समथिंग गुड समथिंग बैड समथिंग ब्यूटिफुल समथिंग अगली स्पेस इज इक्वली ओपन टू एवरीथिंग एंड स्पेस प्रोवाइड्स ब्लेसेज एवरीथिंग विथ स्पेस टू एग्जिस्ट एंड टू डू दियर थिंग सिमिलरली यू आर ब्राह्मण विच इज ओपन टू एवरी मैनिफेस्टेशन इन द यूनिवर्स नॉट वन थिंग इज डिफरेंट फ्रॉम यू यू आर वेरी हैप्पी यू आर वेरी मच एट पीस इन एवरी सर्कमस्टैंस इट मे साउंड डिफिकल्ट बट वन वेन वेन इज वन वन इज सेंटर्ड इन द हार्ट ऑफ रियालिटी विच इज एग्जिस्टेंस कॉन्शियसनेस प्लेस then it becomes possible so that is what advaita is for uh, not for erasing our experience of the universe i think we have run out of time we will conclude here we had a good set of questions so thank you very much please take care stay safe om shanti 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 hari om tat sat श्रीरामकृष्णापणमस्तु स्टे सेफ एवरीबडी आई आई प्रे टू द लॉर्ड टू ब्लेस ऑल ऑफ अस टू प्रोटेक्ट ऑल ऑफ अस